0: Good morning, good morning. We're back, and it is so good to see all of you. Um, your warm, beautiful faces just light up this room, warm it up on this kind of cold, dreary day outside. I'm so glad to see all of you. I want to say a special welcome to those of you that are here at Women in the Word for the very first time ever. Uh, welcome. And also, I want to welcome the uh, those of you at West Campus that are joining us for the first time. Uh, we are so thrilled to have you be a part of Women in the Word this semester. I am Deb Haygood. I'm part of the Women in the Word teaching team. And it is a great joy for me to be here this morning. And I am so happy that you are also um, here with me today. So glad that you've chosen to be here. You know, it seems like just yesterday we were finishing up the last chapter of Luke. Um, but then I think, how much has happened since then? We had Thanksgiving, and we had a major ice storm, and we put up the Christmas tree, and we had Christmas, and then we took down the Christmas tree. And for me, it all happened so fast. In fact, this is the first time ever that I did not send out Christmas cards. Now, part of the reason for that is I had a bad plan to begin with. I thought that I would take a picture of all four of my grandchildren at Thanksgiving. The youngest being one week old. And so as everyone rolled into town, I quickly figured out this was not going to be a good plan. Unfortunately, um, I went ahead and tried it anyway. And uh, my children weren't too happy about that. And sure enough, the picture, we couldn't get one good picture. And then the ice room came and I didn't have Christmas cards. And I just thought, you know, it's not going to happen this year. But the good news is the days pass so quickly for me that I am going to turn around twice, and it's going to be December again, and I can send out some Christmas cards. Yeah, I hope that your Christmas holidays were blessed. I know some of you here probably had the best Christmas ever, and then there may be some in the room that this was the very worst Christmas ever. I hope that in the midst of it all that you found some blessing. One thing, I just have to mention this because I think it was so cool. One thing that blessed me this year was the billboard on Interstate 35 that Babes put up. Babes is that restaurant, um, I think it's in Burleson, where they serve fried chicken and mashed potatoes and biscuits and all that. Did you all see that? It was a billboard. It was beautiful with the nativity, and it said, Jesus is the reason for the season. And I thought, that is so cool. And it just blessed me. I loved it that people driving down 35 were seeing that, and, and I love to think about that. But now it's January, 2014, and January is when we make all of our resolutions for the new year. It's when we decide to do things differently. Maybe we throw out the old and we bring in the new, and January is the time that we start our diet. So how many of you, raise your hand, be honest, started a diet in January? Okay, I see a few of those hands. Okay, I started for the third time. I'm hoping that, um, you know, I can, I can stick to it now. The other thing that we see in January on the f- cover of the magazines, it, if it's not, you know, the new best diet, it's how to declutter your house. Have you noticed that? How to bring balance into your lives. Balance is the new word for peace and calm. And so I was with some friends and we were reading one of those magazines and um, the question that this article says is, what book? helps you stay calm and feel balanced in your everyday life. Now, there's nothing wrong with these books. They had people send these, um, their first choice in, um, but they are pretty interesting to me. So the very first one is Moby Dick. (laughs) Moby Dick, the story of the whaling ship, you know, trying to catch the big whale. You know, I don't know about you, but that is not my go-to book to find peace and calm in my life. Okay, the second one, I've never even heard of this, Is Everyone Hanging Out Without Me? Now, some of you, if you've read that, please see me at the end of Bible study. I'd like to know what that's about. But it was kind of a downer for me just reading the title, Is Everyone Hanging Out Without Me? makes me kind of sad and feel suspicious. And then the third one on this list was Walden. Henry David Thoreau, do you remember that reading that in English class? Walden, it's, he was going to do that experiment, go into the woods and live simply. You know, I thought there were some strange thoughts in that book. I was kind of glad when it was over. And there was a few more, but about this time, um, one of the friends I was with said, Hey, what about the Bible? Where's the Bible on that list? And I thought, exactly. You know, the Bible is what brings us peace and calm. And then I got so excited because I started thinking, we are studying Psalms this semester. Psalms. And Psalms in the Bible is the very best place to go for peace and calm. The Psalms draw us closer to the heart of God. The Psalms bring us into a deeper relationship with God. And that is where we truly find balance. Peace and calm in our life. So this semester we're going to study the Psalms, and this uh, this morning we're going to spend half of our time, maybe a little bit more, um, uh, on an introduction to the Psalms. And I think this will be helpful to you as we discuss and study the. Um, different psalms this semester. We're going to look at 16 different psalms, and they're going to be taught by the uh, Women in the Word teaching team that's made up of Lynn Kitchens, uh, Amy Foster, Shelley Davis, Benita Jones, and Misty Denman. So let's begin with that very first question on your outline that says, what are the psalms? Well, the psalms are, there's 150 individual psalms, and they were compiled into one book that we call Psalms. Some of you may see the word Psalter when you're referring to the whole book of Psalms. And that is another word that starts with that silent P, Psalter. The title Psalms comes from a Greek word which means a poem or song sung to the accompaniment of stringed instruments. It's a little bit long, but it's a song that's sung to music accompaniment. The Hebrew title for Psalms is Tehillim, and that means Book of Praises. And this is a very fitting uh, title for the book of Psalms as well, because almost every psalm has some element of praise in it. The book of Psalms is part of the Old Testament, and it can be called the hymn book of the Bible. They are passionate expressions of love and devotion to God. They are songs of the human heart lifted up to the Lord. You know, in the beginning, the psalms were sung in the temple in Jerusalem. They were part of worship in the temple. Uh, During the reign of King David, he organized the uh, temple to include the temple worship, to include singing the psalms. And they were sung um, throughout his time and later in the synagogues and even up to today, psalms as part of the worship. Since New Testament times, Christians have used the psalms at the center of our worship. Oftentimes, we will sing um, a hymn or a chorus that comes ...from a psalm. Throughout the years, hymn writers have used the psalms, have taken the psalms and turned them into hymns that we sing in church. In fact, we're going to look at one psalm this uh, semester that Martin Luther, the great reformer, took and wrote the hymn that's very familiar... ...A Mighty Fortress is Our God. So be looking for that. And as you read through the psalms... You may have already noticed this, you will um, this semester, that uh, some of the phrases, some of the verses remind you of choruses that we sing in church. Some of those songs that we just sang had verses in them that came from the Psalms. We also um, know that some of the psalms were songs that they sung because that helps people to remember important truths about God or about our lives with him. When we put words to music, it often helps us to remember them. So that's why some of the psalms were sung. And I love it that that title, Psalms, means sung with stringed instruments. Maybe that brought a picture to your mind of David playing the harp. Or maybe it brought to your mind a picture of Brian Keita, Or Casey Taylor playing the guitar as we sing choruses on Sunday. Or maybe even Emily Childs as she played the bass uh, guitar today as we sang those songs. The Psalms are songs. And that's one reason why the title of our study this semester is Sing to the Lord. The Psalms are also poetry. Poetry. They are poems, and that may excite some of you, and it scares the rest of us because poetry is sometimes hard to understand. It can be difficult, but poetry is also beautiful. It's emotional. It's that language of the heart. Now, that doesn't mean it's flowery or unimportant. On the contrary, the psalms are intense, and they're deep. Poetry gets at the heart of life. Poetry helps us to see and to hear the reality of life in a way that our eyes and our ears cannot. Psalms help us to understand ourselves as human beings in the presence of God. The Psalms are real, and that is reality. We are people surrounded by God. So let me talk for a few minutes about some of the poetic devices that might help you to understand uh, the Psalms. Um, Psalms is written with Hebrew poetry. Now, some of this may be familiar to you because we talked about it when we studied Proverbs. Proverbs is wisdom literature, as is Psalms and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. And so they are all written in a poetic form. And Hebrew poetry is different than English poetry. Their number one poetic device is called parallelism. And that means that there's usually two lines... Um, that give the thought of the psalmist. Sometimes you'll see three lines, but usually it's one line that gives the thought. And the second part of the line sometimes um, says the thought of the first line, but in a way that kind of expands on it in a little bit different way so that we can understand it. Sometimes that second line uh, gives us the opposite thought. It's a contrast. And so it helps us to understand the thought. And then another way could be a third type is when the second line completes the thought of the first. So I thought I would give you a few examples on your verse sheet. We're going to look at that real quickly. Psalm 9 look for the two parts, says, I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. Second line, I will tell of all your wonders. This is an example of that first line where the second line just really is saying the same thought but in a little different way to give you greater understanding. Psalm 16 says, For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. There's a contrast. Second line is the opposite of the first line to give us understanding. Um, Psalm 90, verse 6 is also a contrast. I'm not going to read that. And then let's go on to Psalm 197. This is an example of the second part, completing the thought of the first line. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Another poetic device is imagery. And this is where the psalmist uses picture language. He takes images from everyday life that helps us to understand the thought or the idea of the psalm. And an example of that is Psalm 1914. I love this one. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The psalmist uses the image of a rock... To um, give us a picture of the attributes of God and I love that when I think of a rock I think of a big planted firmly in the ground it's not going to be easily moved it's not blown around by the wind it's steady and it's firm and it's dependable and it's trustworthy and those are the attributes of God that the rock helps us to see in the form of a picture another example is Psalm 1 3 now, the Psalm 1 is about the righteous man. And so verse 3 says this. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. So as we think of trees that we've seen by, planted by a stream that are tall and leafy and um, flourishing, we think of the righteous man being strong and prospering as he's tapped into the Lord, as a tree is tapped into that water of the stream. Those are images. And the uh, third thing I'm going to talk about is uh, hyperbole. And this is my favorite. Hyperbole is exaggeration. Um, The psalmist uses exaggeration to make his point. Now, I like this because I sometimes tend to talk in hyperbole. And this drives my husband crazy. And I'm I'm hungry, and I say, I'm starving to death. Or, and this has been my favorite the last few weeks, I am freezing to death. Um, I'm not actually, I'm a little bit cold, but I say I'm freezing to death. That is exaggeration. It's hyperbole, hyperbole which makes the point. And I have one example of that. Psalm 6.6 6 says, I am worn out from groaning all night long. I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. Now, I, I kind of get this picture of a bed floating around on a sea of tears. Um, it's Sort of humorous, but really you get the point. This psalmist is extremely sad. He has cried many, many tears, and we see that with the exaggeration. The Psalms are poetry, and the Psalms are also prayers. They are prayers. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great Christian pastor and theologian who was uh, killed by the Nazis in World War II, he uh, called Psalms the prayer book of the Bible. Prayer is language used in relation to God. Prayer is is communication to God, with God. It's talking and listening to God. Prayer involves God. Now, the Bible is God's uh, word to us. It's God talking to us. It's his love letter telling us how he created us, how much he loves us, how he wants to be in relationship with us, to save us from certain death and give us eternal life. But the... The book of Psalms is where we go to learn what to say back to God, how to respond to God. Eugene Peterson calls the Psalms answering speech, and I like that. And the greatest thing about Psalms is it's answering speech for every kind of feeling or experience, every kind of situation that we might find ourselves. Thomas Constable says in his notes that each Psalm is the expression of a writer who responded to God in light of his particular circumstances when he wrote. The author is responding to God in light of what's going on in his life right then. And so in the Psalms, we see every kind of situation, every kind of emotion and feeling that we can experience is somewhere in the Psalms. Now, <clears throat> we may not be in that exact place and time. We, we live in a different Time Now and we might not use the same phrases or words that we see in the Psalms We might say things in a different way and yet there is still a timeless essence to the Psalms They resonate within us the emotions are still the same emotions that we feel today We can understand them. We can relate to them The Psalms are universal and they are as relevant today as they were 2,000 years ago when they were written I have a story uh, about that that a friend gave me, and maybe you guys have heard this. Um, There was a Nigerian cook that was on a tugboat. His name was O'Keen, and the tugboat, for some reason, it was off the coast of Africa, uh, turned completely over, and it sunk immediately to the bottom of the ocean. Now, O'Keen was, everyone died, except O'Keen was trapped in an air pocket in this boat at the bottom of the ocean, and for three days, he was there. And after um, then rescuers came, uh, divers, and they came to really recover the bodies. And on YouTube, you can see this picture. Some of you may have seen it. Has anyone seen this where the diver is down there? Yeah, I haven't looked at it, but it must be pretty dramatic. The diver is looking for the bodies, and he sees this hand, and he goes out to reach it. The hand grabs his, and the diver is totally shocked to find this man alive. And so after they rescue him, he does an interview with the Associated Press, and I want to read to you what he said. I started calling on the name of God. I started reminiscing on the verses I read before I slept. I read the Bible from Psalm 54 to 92. My wife had sent me the verses to read that night when she called me before I went to bed. The article goes on to say, O'Keen kept faith with the psalm he recited recited that promises to give thanks in your name, Lord. He survived for 72 hours in the cold, dark water with one bottle of Coca-Cola and God's words from the Psalms. That's what the Psalms are like. They're universal. And as he read the words of the Psalms, he called out to God using those words that he was thinking of. And that's what the Psalms do for us. As we see the honest prayers of the psalmist, we learn how to pray. We learn how to pray, just like O'Keen. We know what to call out to God as we read the Psalms. The psalmist is in a situation that calls him to be sad or lonely or distressed or maybe despairing. And we think of situations in our life causing us pain. And when we learn from the psalmist words that we can cry out to the Lord as we lift our, our pain to him. We see the psalmist trusting in God, putting his faith in God, and feeling confidence and peace. And we learn words to lift up to God, to express our trust and confidence. We read and study psalms where the psalmist is filled with joy and thanksgiving. And we're reminded of ways and words that we can sing out to the Lord in praise It's been my request of God um, over the holidays that he would use the psalms in each of our lives to deepen our conversations with him. And that's the goal of the study this semester. Not so much head knowledge as heart knowledge. We want the psalms to uh, turn your hearts towards God as you call out to him in prayer. So let's talk for a minute about who wrote the psalms. David, the great king of Israel, who was called the man after God's own heart, he wrote almost half of the psalms. And some of the psalms are anonymous, so it's possible that he wrote some of those, and so he might have even written more than half of the psalms. We also know that Moses wrote Psalm 90, and Solomon, the son of David, wrote Psalm 72 and Psalm 127. And then there are psalms written by the sons of Korah, Heman, Ethan, and Asaph. Now, these were men from the tribe of Levi. We remember that the Levites were the ones that um, were involved in temple worship and taking care of the temple. And and from the line of Aaron in the tribe of Levi, we have the high priest. So they were involved with the temple and with worship. And so these men were um, descendants in the tribe of Levi, and they were appointed by David to be involved with temple worship. And we um, see that on your verse sheet. I have First Chronicles 15. It says, David told the leaders of the Levites to appoint their brothers as singers to sing joyful songs accompanied by musical instruments, lyres, harps, and cymbals. The musicians, Heman, Asaph, and Ethan, were to sound bronze cymbals. Also, we have the sons of Korah mentioned in 1 Chronicles 12. And this is where David is reorganizing that temple worship. It's also thought that maybe some of the descendants of these men also were um, around the time of Ezra. And we studied Ezra last spring. And we know that um, Ezra came back with some of the exiles to Jerusalem, and when the temple was rebuilt, Ezra was instrumental in restoring temple worship. And so some people think that Ezra might have written some psalms as well, and that makes sense to me since he was involved in that, we know that there are a couple psalms that were written during the Babylonian captivity and also right after the Babylonian captivity. So maybe it was Ezra. So we have psalms spanning um, over a 1,000 years, from the oldest of Moses to the Babylonian captivity. But the majority of the psalms were written during the time of David. And we must remember that they were all inspired by God. This word of God is all inspired by God. Okay, let's talk for just a second. How are we going to study the Psalms this semester? Well, first we're going to look at different types of psalms. We're going to um, have 16 psalms to look at, and we're going to look at the different theme um, of the psalm. And the psalms are divided up into different types. Some psalms are called, and there's many different ways to divide this up, but I just have a few ca- we just have a few categories that we're going to look at this um, semester. And the first one uh, is called lament. Now, laments are written during times of distress. Laments are psalms that are filled with sorrow and confusion and doubt and anger and depression, despair, pain. Life is difficult, and that is reflected in the psalms because there are many psalms that fall into the category of lament. A second theme is meditation or wisdom. These psalms express truths about life. We're also going to look at one psalm of confession what it means to go to God with our sin and find forgiveness. We're also going to look at several psalms that deal with trust and confidence as um, the theme. And then finally, we'll have psalms, um, we'll study some psalms of praise and thanksgiving. Now, each week, we're going to have just one psalm. There's 16 weeks, so 16 psalms. So we're going to have a lot fewer verses to read. But we're going to read the psalm several times. In fact, we're going to read it and read it and read it again. That is how we're going to come to know and study the psalm. You know, the homework is going to be a little different from last semester in Luke. There's going to be a lot um, less for you to read, um, probably fewer questions. But I want to encourage you to start your homework at the beginning of the week. Because it's going to benefit you more if you start at the beginning of the week and you have all week to ponder and to think about the psalm, to meditate on it. Um, If you want to do it the night before, that's fine, come on. But I'm saying it will be better for you. You will get more out of it if you give yourself the whole week to think about it and to ponder it. Because remember, we want the truth of the psalm to go from your head to your heart, and then out of your heart poured out in conversations with God. And so that takes time to think about the psalm for it to to travel from your head to your heart and then out in conversations with God. And then you want to make the psalm personal. That's what their psalms are here for, to make them personal, personalize them. You know, you might not be in the middle of a situation similar to the psalmist, but hold on because pretty soon you probably will be. Um, Or maybe you can think of a time you've been in that situation in the past, and you can learn from the psalmist words that you can call out to God when you're in that situation again. So that's the introduction. So let's turn now. We're going to spend the rest of our time looking at Psalm 13. So let's turn to Psalm 13. Now, this is a short psalm. There's only six verses. That's one reason why um, I picked it to start today. Um, Also, if we're going to come to that last verse in a minute, and it says, sing to the Lord. And that's the title of our study, and so i uh, that's another reason that I chose this psalm. But the most important reason I chose this psalm is because it is a lament. We said laments are those psalms that are written in times of distress, and this is a lament. Um, life is difficult. There may be some of you in this room right now that are in really difficult places. Um, maybe the most difficult place you've ever been been. And I'm glad that you have come today because the Psalms can help. The Psalms can give us words to say in those times. And I think that's what happens. We get in those really dark times and we're not sure what we're supposed to say to God. We're we're not certain. Is this right? How honest can I be? What can I really say? Can I say that to God? And I think that's what the Psalms help us to know, teach us how to pray. In Psalm 13, we're going to see David complaining. And we think, oh, are we allowed to complain? You know, and that's a legitimate question because you look in the Old Testament, you see the uh, Israelites wandering in the wilderness, and they're complaining, and God wasn't pleased with this. So what makes David's prayer, this psalm, different? So let's look and um, see if we can answer that question on what makes this pleasing to the Lord. So let's begin Psalm 13. It says, For the director of music, a psalm of David. Okay, that little title um, is called a superscription. Not every psalm has it. Some do. And um, there's a big debate among the theologians on who wrote it and why it's there and how accurate it is. We're not going to get into any of that. I just want to say, read. If If the psalm has a superscription, read it. Because I think it will give you insight. This one says a psalm of David, and there's no reason for us to think that it was written by anyone else but David. And then we also see for the director of music. So David wrote this psalm, and then he wanted it to go to the director of music, probably to be sung in temple worship. So that's interesting. So let's begin to read, and I'm going to read the psalm all the way through, and that's always a good way to begin. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. This is really a pretty amazing song. It's powerful. I love it. Um, and I love it because it starts out with that question, how long, how long, how long. Four times David says, how long. Um, Charles Spurgeon calls this the how long psalm, but he says in his notes, I wanted to call it the howling psalm because it seems like David is howling to God with his how longs. But I love that phrase because I think it's something we can all relate to. From almost the moment we begin to talk, we begin to say, how long? How long? You know, it kind of starts out in the car lots of times. How long till we get there? Any of you with a child this uh, holiday saying, how long? How long? Maybe it was you saying, how long? I kind of was thinking about that and thought last week. I think I said that to Scott as we were driving somewhere. How long? We all say that. How long? You know, my um, grandson, he's been saying, how long till I get a puppy for about four years now? I can remember coming home and saying to my mom, because I love to eat and I'd be hungry after school, how long till dinner? Um, And what about your teenager? How long till I can drive the car? Or remember the first job? How long till I get vacation days? That was always an important question. And then some of our how longs are really serious. How long until I find someone to marry? How long until I get pregnant? Or maybe how long until the kids leave home? (laughs) How long will I have this mean, unkind boss? How long will my husband spend our money in unwise ways? How long will I have this illness? How long will I grieve this loved one? How long? We all have how long questions. And David lifts up his to the Lord. So let's go back and to look carefully at each uh, one of these how longs. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? So we see that David feels like God has forgotten him. He thinks God has forgotten him. Have you ever felt like that? You just feel like God has forgotten you. He's hard to find. You don't feel like he's listening to you. You know, we know that God loves us. We know the Bible tells us he'll never leave us or forsake us. And yet sometimes we feel like that. Um, I have a verse on your verse sheet. Isaiah 49, this is God telling Isaiah about the Israelites. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she is born? And then I love this. He says, though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. And when I read that verse, I always think about Jesus and the scars on the palms of his hands that are there because he loves me and because he remembers me. God doesn't forget us, but sometimes it feels like that. And that's how it felt to David. He goes on to say, how long will you hide your face from me? Now, this is a picture of someone hiding their face, and it really means someone that's not listening to you. It kind of has the um, connotation of someone holding court, but they will not grant an audience to a petitioner. And this is how David feels. He's saying, you're not listening to me, Lord. You're not listening to my prayers. Then in verse 2, we see, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts, and every day have sorrow in my heart? That wrestling with his thoughts gives us the idea that David is trying to come up with a plan on his own. He's trying to think of some way out of this terrible situation that he's in, but nothing's working. You kind of see him like laying down at night, and different ideas and thoughts are tumbling around in his head. He's going from thought to thought, but never finds an answer. Nothing satisfactory to end his distress. And we know this because the next line there says, Every day I have sorrow in my heart. So then he gets up after thinking thought after thought, and he goes out and tries to put him into action. Nothing is working. Nothing helps. And then in this fourth how long, we really see the problem. How long will my enemy triumph over me? There is an enemy that is prevailing over David. Now, David had, any, had many enemies throughout his life. Those of you that are familiar with the story of David know that. Later in his life, his own son Absalom wanted to kill him, and David was on the run. Um, we know that David went to war against the Philistines and other uh, neighboring countries around Israel. And then we also know when David was young that he was running from Saul, King Saul, who wanted to kill him. Um <clears throat> for years, David kind of hid with his men from King Saul. Now, Saul was the king of Israel, but he had disobeyed God and he had lost favor with God. David, on the other hand, was the man after God's own heart. He was also very popular with Israel. So Saul was jealous and wanted to kill him. It could be during that period of his life that um, this psalm was written and I wanted to just read to you 1st Samuel 24 on your verse sheet this is just two sentences talking about that you kind of get the feeling of how oppressive Saul could be after Saul returning from pursuing the Philistines he was told David is in the desert of Engedi. so Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men David probably had less than 100. I can't remember exactly, but it wasn't very many. Saul takes 3,000 to look for him. So it's possible that this was what prompted um, this psalm that David writes here, but we don't know for sure. We do know that whenever we see how long, it's usually a sign of impatience. Um, Even um, a small trial that persists over time can cause us to become impatient and then sad, and then despairing. And that is where we see David, impatient, sorrowful, probably um, scared, frightened, sad, and um, very much in pain. And then we read verse 3. Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. Um, We see here, look on me, answer, O Lord. Okay, now David is petitioning God. He's making a request of God. And so in verse 3, we see a change in the emotions and the ideas and the thoughts of David. And that is very important. And I want to just point that out to you. As you read the Psalms, as you're studying this semester, look for that flow of ideas and thoughts and emotions because that's important into what the psalmist is trying to say. That's another reason I picked Psalm 13. It's very easy to see the transitions that David goes through in this psalm. Now he's gone from these questions um, to petitioning God. He's gone from despair to making a request. So let's look at this request. It says, look on me and answer, O Lord my God. That's a pretty uh, familiar request that many of us have probably said, especially in times of pain. We say, look at me. Pay attention to me, Lord. Hear me. Notice me, Lord. I'm talking to you. Um, I've got to tell you this story really fast about my granddaughter Finley, but um, it, it's, it's pretty funny to me. Um, Finley is three years old. She is the firstborn of my son who lives in town, and she has gotten a lot of attention. When she comes to my house, she's usually by herself, my husband, and I pay all of our attention to Finley. Her mom and dad have paid her a lot of attention in her three years of her life, and then the week before Thanksgiving, a baby sister came into the family of Finley, and so things kind of changed. So the first week of December, they're over at my house, and um, Scott hadn't gotten home from work yet, and so I am fixing dinner for Finley, and I've got it in front of her, and she's asking a million questions, you know, can I have a fork instead of the spoon, and what's this, and I don't want to eat that, and Grammy, what about, and baby Harper is crying, and so finally, I said, Finley, just eat your dinner. I have to pick up baby Harper. So she puts down her spoon, and she looks at me and says, Grammy? then who will pay attention to me? <laughs> and I, I started laughing. Now maybe as a young mom I wouldn't have laughed, but as a grandmother I found it really, really funny. You know, that is what we all cry out. Lord, pay attention to me. Notice me. Hear me. Listen to me. And then David goes on to give the request. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. Now, give light to my eyes, enlighten my eyes, some of your translations say. Talks about gaining understanding. I think David is really asking the Lord, give me insight, Lord. And he's saying, or I will sleep in death, which means, or I will die. David thought that this situation is so severe, if God doesn't intervene, David is going to die. This is serious. This is about as bad as it can get. For David. It couldn't even, it says, give light to my eyes, that he's saying, Lord, give me health and life, because he realizes that he is about to be overcome by his enemy. And then he goes on and he says um, this next line, which is in a little way justifying this um, request that he makes, because he says, my enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. You know, not only is this going to be a bad outcome for David if he dies, it's also going to be a bad outcome for God because David is known as the friend of God. And so if he dies, this is going to put God in a bad light. His enemies may say, could God not even protect you or save you? So David is saying here that um, for God that needs to intervene also for his own reputation then let's go on and look at um, this these last couple verses but I trust in your unfailing love my heart rejoices in your salvation I will sing to the Lord for he has been good to me I think some of your translations instead of saying unfailing love say mercy and here we see another transition and this is easy to see because it begins with the word but Whenever you see but, then you know there's going to be a change. And here we see a huge change in the emotions and the ideas and the thoughts of David. David goes from those troubling questions to a song of joy. He goes from pain to praise, from despair to delight. How did this happen? How did this happen? You know, I think that David lifts up his request to God and once he does, the Lord's unfailing love, the Lord's mercy comes to David's mind and he trusts in that. David is going to be trust in what he knows to be true, that God's love is unfailing. That word there for love is hesed, and it means loyal love, loyal love for those who trust him. So David puts his trust in what he knows to be true. And then he begins to celebrate the rescue of God. Even though it hasn't happened yet, his thoughts and his attitudes have changed. And he remembers God's goodness and graciousness to him in the past. The blessings, the generosity that he has, the the generous way that he has dealt with David in the past. And David begins to sing a song rejoicing to the Lord. I love that because instead of the foes rejoicing, which David's talking about in verse 4, in verse 5 we see him rejoicing in the Lord. David's attitude has changed. As he's lifted up his questions, as he puts his request before God, God's unfailing love comes to his mind and he trusts in that in what he knows to be true about God. What I see that makes this lament pleasing to God is that even though David complains that God has forgotten him, that God's not listening to him, David is calling out to him anyway. Do you see that? He's saying, God, you don't hear me, you're not there, you're not paying attention, but he's calling out to him anyway. He's holding on to God, even though it feels like God's forgotten him. David's not complaining about God. David is complaining to God. And I think that's what makes the difference God wants us to come to him with our complaints, with our sorrows, with our sadness, with our trials. Not to talk about him, but to come to him. David, we see, is struggling to hold on to God and to put his faith in God. And and when he does that, his mind is flooded with what he knows to be true about God. And then his heart is filled with a song of praise that he lifts up to the Lord. You know, as I read this psalm, and I've read it many times, I thought to myself, I want to remember in the difficult times to go to God with my questions and my distress. I want to complain to God and not complain about God. I want to remember his love and the generous ways he's blessed me in the past. Now, sometimes that's difficult when times are hard. You know that when it's really hard and you're really hurting and in pain, it's hard to remember those times. I may have to go back to Psalm 13 and lift up these words of David to the Lord. Does this psalm make you want to talk to God? I hope so. I hope that when you're in times of distress, you'll remember this, and you'll want to lift up that pain to the Lord. I want you... um, to remember his love, to remember the generous ways that he's dealt with you. I hope that you come back next week and all the weeks of this semester as we study the Psalms, and I hope these Psalms touch your heart and cause you to sing out to the Lord in new ways, new ways that you haven't sung before. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a good God. You are generous with us. You are gracious to us. Your love is unfailing. You are merciful. Father, we know that in the good times, it's easy to remember it. But, Lord, in the hard times, it's sometimes hard to remember it. So I pray, Father, that when life is difficult, that each of us in this room will remember these words. And, Lord, we will call out to you. We will bring our complaints to you. We will wait on you, Lord, for you are generous and good. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the way it blesses us. And I just ask a blessing on each woman that is here today. In Jesus' name, amen.